Trail and Ultra Runners, what is going on? Welcome to another episode of the Coopcast. As always, I'm your host, Coach Jason Coop. And on this episode of the podcast, I've got a good one for you. We have none other than the incredible, the incomparable, the queen of pain, Rebecca Rush. Rebecca's athletic accomplishments and exploits are absolutely legendary and they could fill an entire library. But for the uninformed, here's just a quick sample. She has won the Leadville Trail 100 mountain bike four different times. She's a seven time world champion across a multitude of different disciplines. In 2019, she was inducted into the Mountain Bike Hall of Fame. She has summited Mount Kilimanjaro by bike. And in one of the craziest, absolutely amazing things I have ever heard of, she is the first and only person to swim the length of the Grand Canyon in winter. I said swim, not raft, not run alongside, not fly over, swim the length of the Grand Canyon in winter. And she did it over the course of 18 days. And to top it all off, Rebecca has an Emmy for the incredible film Blood Road. All of you guys should go check out that documentary after this podcast if you've not already done so. It's really neat, absolutely amazing, incredibly inspiring. Rebecca's moniker, the Queen of Pain, really goes down to who she is as an athlete. She is renowned for being able to dig deeper and go further into the well than any of her peers. And I wanted to find out exactly how she does that during the course of this podcast. I had a lot of fun with it. I'm going to get out of the way. Let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with the Queen of Pain, Rebecca Rush. kind of funny you're like well it's a running podcast i'm like i know it's a running podcast and it's like i run and ultra is a sponsor so actually they'll be really stoked that i'm on coop's podcast talking <laughs> well, about running you did a lot of running <laughs> back in your adventure racing days you know i think we, we you probably well i haven't started forgotten running. That. it was my very first sport was high school cross-country running and so like it's it's what shaped me so it'll be cool to talk about that cool um it's my first love I, I did want to, well, so you're obviously way more renowned on the mountain bike side of things for doing all this gnarly mm-hmm. stuff, yeah. but running was your first love, but I actually want to <clears throat> talk a little bit about adventure racing for a little bit since the eco <laughs> challenge is now all the rage being streamed on Amazon prime. Have you watched any of that? Yeah, I did watch all the episodes and, you know, I had to, of course, and it was so cool to see, um, a bunch of old friends, you know, some new people, but it's Fiji was the last eco challenge they had. And so they chose that same location and the course was very similar and like all these locations, I'm like, Oh, I've been there. I've been there. So it was really cool to, to watch it and sort of go down memory lane. I I mean, I do believe it's, it's one of the most amazing sports in the world. You know, I feel like I have a, you know, 15 year master's degree in teamwork and just kind of, you know, when the going gets tough and navigation and all different sports, like it was, it was a really cool period of my life to travel like that and and spend time adventure racing. So yeah, I never thought it would come back. So I have been watching it on TV and, you know, definitely, of course I'm the armchair critique, like, Oh, why did they do that? Those guys don't know what they're doing. And so it was, it was pretty cool. And um, there's absolutely part of me that's like, hmm, I think I could still do it. Oh, that's interesting, Rebecca. So you're looking for teammates (laughs) now because they're doing another one. They are doing another one. So I'm not going to say no. Okay. Um, Yeah. I I think we can facilitate that. So listeners out there, Rebecca Rush is looking for teammates for her second foray into Eco Challenge. <laughs> I mean, you definitely saw there. There were, I mean, the winning team with Nathan from uh, New Zealand. You know, he's there's there's a lot to be said, as we know in endurance sports and ultra endurance sports. Um, experience goes a long way, more than just how big your quads are, how big your lungs are. You know, after. 24 hours, 48 hours into any sort of big, long expedition, um, you know, 
suddenly the, the physical prowess is stripped away and it becomes a lot more emotional game and a mental game and a planning and strategizing and pacing. And so, you know, really ultra endurance sports. I do, you see it in mountaineering, you see it everywhere. You know, it's not that you need to be 25 um, to do well. And sometimes you actually do well better in your forties and where, where you have the life and sport experience. So when you were part of the group that helped pioneer eco challenge and adventure racing to the world. I mean, it started out kind of like from the get go, like with this big TV broadcast. And so a lot of people got exposed to it very quickly. If experience is one of the things that you have to like lean on the most, like how did you compensate for that in the early days when you guys really didn't have, like there was no experience to be had really. Yeah. And you saw the teams that did well were just really gritty people. So it tended to be mountaineers or, um, you know, ultra runners do well. People that are used to being cold, being outside, um, climbers, you know, slotted in pretty well. Um, and no offense to triathletes, but it, you know, it's like the outdoor athletes were, were the ones that, that did really well. And, yeah, there wasn't experience, but you know, the people who are used to navigating, using a map and compass, finding a route. And that's why I say climbers and mountaineers, because one, they're on their feet, they're carrying a big backpack. So they're used to weight and they're used to navigating and they're used to suffering and being cold and, and, and keeping it together for long hours at a time. So you found a lot with the sort of entry point for a lot of people came from climbing and mountaineering. Um, you know, and I came from a climbing background and was lucky that I'd already paddled. I was a runner and I was a climber. So I had sort of three out of the five things. I was not a cyclist. It was absolutely my worst sport. Um, and I didn't really, I, I didn't really enjoy riding a bike. I'd often throw my bike, curse at my bike. I hate bikes. Bikes are ridiculous. And I would always say, like, it's like running is so much more pure. You just throw on a pair of shoes. Like you don't need all this confusing equipment. And I was that person. And so, yeah, I, I, my entry into adventure racing was really through rock climbing. Um, a bunch of experienced racers came into my climbing gym that I was managing in Santa Monica, California. And they came in and, you know, rock climbers are a little more casual group of people. And these guys came in all lycra and tights and super tight fitting clothing and came in and they're like, we want to learn how to repel. And I was like, dude, this is a climbing gym. We don't repel like repelling's like how to get down. It's like taking the escalator down after the real stuff. And like, well, we need to learn to repel for this adventure racing thing. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'll take your money. I'll teach you dorks how to repel. <laughs> you know, and it turned out it was like the legends of the sport. John Howard, Ian Addison, Kathy Sasson, Robin Benicasa, like these people's names. But they, they didn't really have climbing skill. And so, and, and they didn't fit in. You could tell at the moment they walked in the door. Yeah. But um, I took their money, taught them, uh, <laughs> taught them how to repel, taught them how to streamline their climbing systems a little bit better. Um, and then, of course, got recruited because they're like, oh, hey, you're female. Oh, hey, what do you do? Oh, you run, you paddle, and you climb. Hmm. And so I got roped in really just from those people walking in the door. And, you know, to answer your question, how do you get experience in a, a sport that is, was kind of new? Um, you know, I had, a, I had a lot of the ingredients already. Um, but really I surrounded myself with people like the folks who walked in that day who had a few years under their belt and they had experience and, you know, they saw potential in me and, and took me along for the ride. And that was, you know, 10 years of managing my own team and putting together sponsorship and, you know, going around the world and filling two passports. And it was definitely a big leadership growing, amazing experience for me. And it, it changed the trajectory of, of my career, which was really cool. You know, I left that job. I had a great job, a dream job running climbing gyms, you know, um, and I had a business degree. And so I was like using my college degree. And then this whole eco challenge stuff came up and I was like, you know, I'll just go on this one trip. It's a trip to Australia. You know, I, we won the first race we'd ever done and I hadn't in Malibu and I was like, what? So, um, ended up, you know, getting in a free entry to Australia. And honestly, I thought that was going to be, you know, one trip, go do this thing, you know, try not to get bitten by a snake in Australia and, and then come home and get back to a regular job. But that really was the, um, catalyst that started, you know, 
30 years of being a professional athlete, you know, and now turning into a mountain biker, which was my worst, worst sport. I'm not even joking. I was so bad at it. That is so, that is so hilarious. So you'll love this. So yesterday I recorded a podcast with one of my athletes who was in this most recent rendition of eco challenge. His name's Corey Woltering. Uh You you might remember him from team Onyx. Um, and he was your client. So the person, the person that came into the climbing gym and they needed to know how to repel just to like get this thing done, that was him. I mean, he got pulled into this thing. That whole team came together really at the last minute, like a lot of those teams. And he had an endurance background, right? Good triathlete, good ultra runner, good trail runner, but no rock climbing skills, no water skills, like kind of like nothing. And so he had to take all these like crash courses and doing these things. Oh and man. He got it, you know, he got it done. And um he 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 did the best he could with the time frame allotted because as you mentioned, like those skills yeah. take years, not just days yeah. to develop. Right. But like hearing you describe the people coming into the gym going, hey, we need to learn how to repel. I'm like, yep, that's kind of what we were having to do. Like, it's just the situation it was, you know. <laughs> and Corey wouldn't I mean, mind mentioning that. I'm lucky a coach. And... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's funny. You, you, I, And there was stuff that I didn't know how to do either. You know, I was pretty new at navigating. And, and you just sort of follow along. And you're humble enough to ask for help, which it sounds like Corey did for you. And the beauty, it could be the beauty and the curse of working in a team is that hopefully somebody on your team, you know, is a little better in this area. You shine in this area so that collectively you're stronger, but yeah, yeah, hopefully they weren't all for getting a crash course in seven different sports at the same time. No, no, their their team leader had a lot of experience. (laughs) The the last piece of advice I left him with, I was like, dude, you're just going to have to figure it out. You're going to be staring at something and you've never done it before. And it's going to be a whole day's worth of stuff. And you're just going to yeah. say, okay, I'm going to figure this out. And I'm going to figure this out with my whole team. And, you know, they did, they, 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 they definitely had a good time out there. Um, I've got a rumor before we go off of adventure racing that I want you to clarify for me. This has been okay. like burning for probably like the last 15 years. So wow. bef- yeah, I know a long time. And I, I keep every time, every time we're in the same place at the same time, I want, I've wanted to mention this story, but I've never kind of gotten around to it. So way back before we even met, we have a mutual colleague who I'm going to leave anonymous <laughs> to, to, to protect the innocent, also to protect my source here. But we're <laughs> ha- he's one of my colleagues and from, your, from the old adventure racing days, kind of from the heydays. And we were having this conversation revolving around in these ultra endurance events, is there a certain point where the women get better than the men? And, you know, this conversation has kind of revolved in circles for decades, right? In the cycling community and the, like the old, even in the Ultraman community and the running community and being, uh, being an adventure racer, he's like, well, let me just tell you this. He's like, I, I know this woman, Rebecca. And after about the second or third day, she was taking all of the weight from our packs. She was the best person on our team. And aside from the bike throwing, which I can, I, I, I can definitely back that story up. Aside from the bike throwing, she was the strongest person on the team. And then she started bossing us all around. True or false? Yeah, that's true. That's totally true. 100% true. <laughs> so the, the tag- And when you were going to ask me, is there a pivotal point in any adventure race? And instantly I was going to say day three. Day three yep. is where, you know, and, and I think you saw it in the Eco Challenge coverage. Day one and two, everybody's fit. Everybody has prepared their best. And, you, you know, any good athlete can hang in there for a couple of days. Um, but what happens on day three is whatever you've done for day one and two, you know, either you let your nutrition slide or you've gotten frustrated or you've gotten lost or you're getting really tired. Day through is like day three is kind of the truth serum where you can no longer rely on your physical prowess because everybody's tired. You've been going for 48 hours and sort of the defense layers are stripped away. And that is really where, you know, the experienced athletes and the really good athletes. And you see it in an ultra run too. people. You see it in any event. People go out hot. 
you know, and then all of a sudden in the middle of the race is really where the race starts, I think for me and adventure racing was no different. And and yeah, I have been accused of being bossy and, uh, you know, or a good leader. Um, you can flip it however you want it to be. Um, but there's what's so cool is that, you know, people need to take the lead in in situations like that. And whatever sort of team situation you're in, you're like, if you're feeling strong, you you give it and you you step into a leadership role. If you're feeling like you need help, and this is the hardest part for most type a strong athletes, you ask for help to ask for help and say, my pack is really heavy. Can you help me? That's so hard It's for big, strong, burly people to ask for help. And that was one of the biggest lessons I learned at adventure racing is that everyone's willing to give help if they feel good. The real challenge comes is when you're feeling bad and you've got three people there who you want to move faster and you know it, and you're beating yourself up, feeling like the weak link and just say, Hey, I need some help. Um, and it's really powerful to be able to do that. And, you know, it's a life lesson for sure. And the second part of that story that this person mentioned was the initial reluctantness of the men on the team to give their weight yeah. up to the women on the team that were stronger at the time. And what he was telling me was the teams that just got over that faster mm-hmm. did better. They were like, fuck this. We just yeah. want to win. Like, yeah, if you're stronger than me right now, doesn't care. Man, man, woman, black, white, whatever, you know, skill we're on right now. If you're better than me right now, take all my stuff. The ones that like got over that the quickest ended up doing the best. It's so true. Your teammate is your teammate. It doesn't matter what gender doesn't, that doesn't matter at all. And you're exactly right. The the good teams really get over the sort of stereotype, you know, and in adventure racing, it was, you know, there was mandatory equipment. You had to have a headlamp, you had to have medical kit and you had to have a female <laughs> was kind of the joke. And most teams were, were three men, one woman, um, you even see it. You even saw it in the new, you know, revitalized eco challenge. Um, And, you know, one of my proudest, you know, something I'm really proud of and and that I learned and and I went into adventure racing too, thinking I'm a female, I'm smaller than these people. Um, And it was really empowering to learn, you know, in endurance sports that, that, you know, the distance is this great equalizer. um, And all of a sudden people are just people. And I I learned a lot from that. And I did, one of my proudest races was uh, Eco Challenge Patagonia. And we put together a three woman, one man team. And we finished fourth and we were in the lead for part of it. We were right up with the best teams in the world with three women and one man. And that was really groundbreaking. I mean, that was 15 years ago or more. And it really kind of showed the endurance world that like, Hey, no, this really is true. Women, once a race gets long enough, um, this sort of gender differences really do get minimized. And it's really cool to see that you see it ultra running, you see it endurance swimming, you, you see it in mountaineering. Um, and I'd say the only thing that, you know, women have, that really doesn't get equalized is, you know, is body size and just, you know, me carrying a 40 pound pack versus you carrying a 40 pound pack. It's different. You know, the, the weight percentage is different for you. And so that really was the only thing. Otherwise it's an equal playing field. Did you have any, and women are better at asking for directions. So maybe, maybe you nah. know, we do have a leg up once the race gets longer. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think there's something to that for sure. Did you have any sense that that's the way that that is an element of the way that it was going to go down when you started to get into that sport? Did you have any sense of that? No, I thought, like I said, I thought it was, oh, I want a free trip to Australia. I'm going to go do this thing one time. Um, and that's that. But, you know, we didn't finish. I didn't finish the first eco challenge I did. Um, you know, our team sort of crashed and burned with, you know, someone getting blisters, someone getting a stomach, um, a stomach flu. And I was left, you know, sitting there feeling good and wanting to keep going forward and just being like, you know, getting pulled out from the race, you know, three days in basically that magic three days. Um, we were that rookie team and we didn't make it. And I just remember sitting there going, you know, team sports are dumb. Like (laughs) I feel great and my whole team. And now I have to stop because of these people. Cause, cause they couldn't do it. And maybe I wasn't very empathetic, but I was also like, 
I don't know, but it just really highlighted um, the importance of, 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 you know, it takes years to build a really solid team of the right personalities, the right skill base, people you want to hang out with, people that you can cry on their shoulder. Um, but no, I had no idea this was going to launch, you know, a multi-year career. And, and it's pretty magical. I mean, I find now what's really cool is, is my bike riding and the stuff that I want to do is coming back to the expedition, the ultra long, the multi-day. And so I feel like I'm coming full circle back to adventure racing days, but now more on a bike um, and or on foot. You know, I'm doing a lot of big sort of bike packing things and backpacking things and using a map and compass and just feeling like I'm coming full circle. So I'm, I'm really grateful for that experience. When I want to kind of keep digging into this, like this third day phenomenon that you mentioned, because <laughs> I've heard it before. Right. And I wanted, uh-huh. I wanted to like hear it directly from the person who has the most experience with this or has one of the people that has the most experience with this. And that's you. Do you ever, was there ever like some sort of revelation when you're in the moment, like in one of those races where you look around, and you're like, I'm the strongest person here. I'm the strongest person there on were my multiple, team. Yeah, there were multiple times which kind of shocked me. It was like, oh, I'm doing okay. And my teammates suffering and, you know, can I help? Your your initial thing is like, can I help? You're not like, right. sweet, I'm the strongest yeah, right, one. Right. Um, of course, everybody's happy if you're not the weakest link. Um, but, but initially it's like, you know, your team, you're like, how can I help? And you feel, I remember feeling really grateful when I could help instead of just, there were also times where I'm just barely hanging on myself. And I'm like, I couldn't carry a feather for you. I'm just hanging on. And you're like, Oh, please let this pass. <laughs> one of the, one of the, first bits of advice I got from Kathy Sasson, who was a veteran adventure racer. And one of the first people I met that first year of Australia, you know, she said to me, and I've used these words in running bike racing everywhere is that, you know, no matter how good or bad you feel, it won't last. And I've, I think about that all the time. Like when you're on your multi-day thing or a long thing and you're like, I could do this for 40 hours. I'm I'm superwoman. And it's like, no, no, no. Okay. This is not going to last. Endurance racing is a roller coaster. And so it's like, okay, don't let your nutrition go. Don't, don't get too cocky. Cause this won't last. Um, but also knowing if you're in a big trough that that won't last either. And anyone who's done even a one hour run knows that like you feel terrible in the beginning and then you feel good and then you feel bad again and then you feel good again. Um, and so I think about that all the time that roller coaster effect and you know the three-day phenomenon or or feeling super strong like there's no reason to be arrogant in a team of like i'm the best one i'm gonna take everything because you have to be really careful that then you're not going to send yourself sooner into right. that next trough that you're ultimately going to have and so it's a very fine balance of like i have energy to give Ooh, how much of it can i give but make sure i don't crater myself um and it i mean it really is it's more of a mental game than a physical game of like how many, you know, how many chips do I have to spend that I want to give to my team? And people do that. They'll give too much and carry too much. Right. Stuff. Like, no, 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 I got it. I got, it. I feel great. I feel great. And then an hour later they've got blisters and yeah. you're like, Oh, we shouldn't yeah. have done that. Cause it's an ego boost, right? Like you, when you're strongest person See, on the team, you're absolutely. like, yeah, I can conquer everything. I'm going to take everybody's weight and rah! And then they screw themselves. Yeah, it's absolutely an ego boost. And I think there's no room for ego in endurance sports. You learn that pretty quickly. I've had this conversation uh, with several colleagues over many, many years around, are women going to be better than men past a certain distance? And they've tried to slice, they, like the scientists and the coaches and the pundits and things like that, have tried to slice and dice it several ways, right? I mean, they look at the physiology and then they'll look at statistics and all these regression equations and things like that. But to be honest with you, the most, comp- like the most compelling argument that would indicate that women can get better than men past a certain distance are the anecdotes from adventure racing. I always look back to that because I'm like, if if there if there is a compelling reason, we're probably not going to be able to like find a mathematical model. There's there's always going to be holes in the physiology and things like that. The performance 
when the athletes are actually doing it is that's all that's always where the proof is right that's the proof in the pudding or the performances and so those types of stories and those types of anecdotes i've always thought is like the most compelling argument to to support that idea I mean, I would love to know, I would love for science to be able to actually break it down, but you're exactly right. We sort of know that we've seen, I've, you know, I've experienced it firsthand of, you know, some big 180 pound, huge guy, you know, giving me his backpack after a few days, um, cause he can't carry it. And so, you know, I have that experience and that's not saying I'm extra special. Um, but the gender difference is really interesting. And I would love for the scientists to explain it. Um, <laughs> I have a feeling that, you know, they can explain the physiology of it. Yeah. I have a feeling there may be an emotional or mental component to it that we cannot measure um, and we don't understand. And guys out there, I'm not saying women are better than men or we're just saying that we're different. And, you know, that's the beauty of a team is knowing your teammates and at what point somebody's shining and what point somebody needs help. And then it flip flops. Um, Yep. And so, yeah, I'm not saying women are better at endurance sports, but I would love to understand that phenomenon too. Well, everybody <laughs> would, but the limitation of science is it tends to look at isolated singular variables and that's the scientific method, right? You test something and does it work or does it not work? Then you test something else, does it work or does it not work? But performance integrates all of those. And it's almost mm-hmm. impossible to integrate all of those in science because you don't know the weight of all the proportions and things like that. And so those things that you mentioned, like the psycho-emotional component of it, and maybe there's some physiology, like who knows what concoction of all of that makes it work? And how would you ever test for it and explain it and things like that? So I, I always just go back to the performance will dictate whether or not that's going to be true. And if we see enough performances, that's good enough for me. So what other sports other than adventure racing? I I mean, I know you've seen this, like, I mean, I've seen it in endurance cycling, but where, where is this, like at what distance in running or other sports do you feel like is that day where, you know, is it day three that it flips or is it a hundred miles or is it, where do you see it? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's on the running side of it we don't have enough performance data to compare and contrast. I mean, there's always these stories of women outright winning ultra marathon races, hundred mile distance, 200 mile distance and things like that. It, in my opinion, there's not enough of those performances to paint a good context of, is mm-hmm. this actually true? Because the field kind of d- dictates what goes on there. But yeah. th- that's why I say adventure racing is the great, is the great context. And especially when you were racing, because you guys had fantastic competition, top to bottom, all the teams were really good. They were high quality athletes. And when you're putting lots of high quality athletes together in the same environment, that's what creates a performance context to actually look at and say, okay, what's like, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if three days is the magic day or not, but it's definitely a cool, it's definitely a cool anecdote from adventure racing. And, it, and it's just fun to talk about as long as you don't get too wrapped around the axle about it, which some people tend to. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. It'd be fun to take you on a adventure expedition one of these days and oh, see what happens. And, I mean, bikepacking is, <laughs> that's gotten really popular right now too. Yeah. And it, it's kind of fun to see people going out exploring and, and doing multi-day adventures, um, you know, in their own backyard. I think yeah. we're seeing that on foot and on two wheels. Yeah. Um, that's been kind of an interesting sort of trajectory that I think it's not just COVID related. It's not just 2020, that sort of exploration has been coming for a while and you see it in the explosion of ultra endurance events and people, you know, getting away from typical cross country or cyclocross or, and they're wanting to go a little further and deeper into the woods. And I think that that's a really cool thing that's (laughs) happening right now. Well, further and deeper, that's going to be our next topic. Cause that, (laughs) that is, that is, that is your thing. I mean, you are, you are known for being able to dig deeper than anybody else, find that reserve of whatever you have and like come out the other side of it. I'm, I'm going to link some pieces of your bio into the show notes. And whenever I read it, I just get a chuckle because it's like some of the stuff that you've done is just hilarious. Like it's like really people sign up for this stuff like like voluntarily people will like do this to themselves. And I am in an ultra endurance <laughs> and I think it's hilarious. So that that says a lot. 
but kind of what I want to what what I want to get to know a little bit better, and I think what the what will resonate with the listeners is that when did you figure that out? Like when did you figure out that you had an aptitude for going to the well, for being able to dig deep in these ultra endurance, incredibly arduous events? I figured that I got an inkling of that and started to figure that out in high school. My very first sport was, was running. And, um, you know, my family was not athletic. I didn't grow up with that kind of, um, experience. And I joined the cross country running team my freshman year, um, because my next door neighbor was a little bit older. I kind of like looked up to her. Um, she said, you know, if you join the cross country running team, one, you'll never get fat and you get a free sweatsuit. And I was like, okay, no, going into high school, that age of a girl, like, you know, your body conscious or whatever. And they were like those sweet cotton sweatsuits, you know, that like same color, top and bottom, the hoodie, like, um, and so I joined the cross country running team, not because I was really attracted to sports or anything else. Um, but it really did change my life. And, you know, as part of the cross country running team, then you were also expected to run track in the next season, which, so I had this direct comparison of like, I loved running through the woods and every course was different. And like, I don't know what's around the next corner. And then you have to do the track season, which, you know, I quickly learned that the longer the race was, the better I did. And the more I enjoyed it and the more varied the race was, you know, going around a circle, making left turns really was not that inspiring (laughs) to me. And so I've always known I have this sort of adventure spirit and that I do better when it's longer. And, you know, those races were only two miles, you know, which seemed like an eternity when you're in high school. (laughs) Um, And then I remember I went to college and then the races were three miles, you know, and it was like, Oh my gosh, I don't think I can run that long. Um, it's so hilarious to talk about now three miles is so long it was and it was like what college athletes run three miles and so that was kind of a a big deal but I learned early on that yeah I wanted to adventure and I and I the longer it was the better I did um you know I really in track I really wanted to do hurdles and like the hundred yard dash and the long jump because I was like, well, the pain, you know, they're not as painful as the two mile, you know, running a two mile around a track. I'm like, I want to do the fun stuff, but I wasn't any good at it, you know? And so I kept trying to do hurdles and long jump and all that. And coach is finally like, no, no, you got to run the two mile. You, you just stay where you need to be. And we, we find our path and, and eventually, you know, that two miles became seven day, 10 day, you know, 24 hour mountain bike racing, um, ultra endurance stuff. And I think what I started to discover, you know, people have asked me, you know, what is your relationship with like going and doing these really painful, hard things? And, you know, really it's, it's that, that's my teacher. The trail is really my teacher and who I am, you know, when, all of the, everything's stripped away. All my defenses are stripped away. That happens out on the trail on a really long adventure. When you have some, one of these big adventures in front of you, you tend to do a lot of planning in advance, especially, I I don't know what it was like kind of in the earlier part of your career, but I know that when you've like taken things on like more recently, like in the past 10 years or so, like you look at it, you're very thoughtful, you're very deliberate, you're very conscientious about what you're doing. Do you look at that and go, okay, I have to get myself ready to like go to the well to like dig into this, you know, part that I might not, you know, ever touch again for until the next time I try to do one of these things. Is that like a conscientious part of your preparation when you do these things? Yeah, it's probably a bit of a, you know, lack of self-confidence in myself of like, you know, I'm not the kind of person who's just going to like grab a knife, put a knife in my teeth and go out into the woods. I'm like, oh, I need to make sure. I have everything. I'm really prepared, like control the controllables because, um, I I probably, you know, don't have a ton of confidence in myself. I mean, I know I can go long. I know I can be out there, but I also, I hate being hungry. I hate being cold. I don't like when things don't work. Um, and so maybe that's that, you know, there's a controlling Virgo side of me that wants to make sure I'm prepared. Um, because I know it's going to be scary. I know it's going to be super hard and I don't want it to be like, oh, I forgot to bring batteries. Like what an idiot. (laughs) Um, and it's, I mean, the cerebral part of a, you know, a big exhibition planning, it's something I actually really like, um, because it's, 
like I said earlier, it's more than just how big your legs are, how strong your lungs are. It's, can you be smarter? And I've always felt like I'm not the most, you know, my physiology is not the most gifted out there, but I'm a good planner. I'm, you know, thoughtful and that oftentimes, you know, that can win a race or that can be success or failure in an expedition is, is if you take care of the planning and, and there's so much cool equipment initially, like I said, I didn't like that part about the bike of like, there's too much equipment. There's too much stuff to figure out. I just want to throw on a pair of running shoes. And I still feel that way. There's days where I'm just like, I just want to go out and throw on some shoes. Um, but there's so much cool equipment of like, can this be lighter? Can this, does this work a little bit better? Um, and that's kind of the fun part of planning an expedition and getting all the maps together and all the stuff. And in adventure racing days, I mean, I learned that from my adventure racing teammates is when you're carrying everything on your back, you are carefully evaluating each piece of equipment down to your socks. Like, do I take one pair of socks or two? Do I take this one pair? Is this going to be the perfect pair for every situation? (laughs) Um, And we were cutting labels, you know, out of our Mm -hmm. clothing and cut, taking zippers off of things. And you'd end up with this pile of stuff that, you know, weighs 12 ounces and you're like, okay, that's 12 ounces less I have to carry. And so I learned that early on this meticulous from my adventure racing teammates, some meticulous preparation and, it's kind of the fun part of an expedition, I think. And it can make or break you. Your equipment really can make or break you, especially when you're being self-reliant, you're carrying it on your back. Um, and no one's going to come, you know, there's no cell phone coverage. There's, (laughs) there's no rescue. You're, your, you know, you're your own first responder. And I do really like that sort of commitment, um, of big expedition planning. But it's interesting to me, Rebecca, that the fuel for all of that the fuel for all of like the hard physical work that you do in training, the fuel for all of the meticulous planning that you just went through comes from a lack of confidence. Like with all, with, a, with all of the success that you have had, which is a lot, you're more than anybody that I've ever had on this podcast. Now that that's the best litmus test, but you've had, it, it's fair to say like as an observer of endurance sports, Rebecca, that you're one of the most successful athletes pe- period, male, male, female, doesn't matter. Team sports, individual sports, successful. Absolutely. Despite all of that, whenever you go into an expedition or you go into training, you still have this thorough meticulous, I'm going to train hard. I'm going to do everything I can. And it's fueled by a lack of confidence. It's maybe, yeah, it probably is. You know, Will Gadd is another really good athlete. He's a well-known climber. Um, I really look up to him. And he gave a speech one time to a bunch of Red Bull athletes, which I'm a Red Bull athlete, and he talked about the power of pessimism. And I know that sounds really weird. Um, but in my training or, you know, you think about, well, what are my, what are my competitors doing? Are they training harder? Are they, are they doing more? Am I doing everything I can be doing? And no, I could be doing a little bit more. And I think maybe it's not potential, you know, maybe lack of confidence isn't the best way to describe it, but the fact that like, I could be doing more. It's a lack of arrogance, really. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the best athletes I know in the world think they could be doing better and they think there's another 1% that they could get. Um, And I think that's, that's where it, you know, it's not lack of confidence. It's lack of arrogance Mm -hmm. Um, because, you know, I don't, I know that I have had a lot of success in an athlete. I know I'm, I can do a lot of things that other people can't do, but I'm also know that there's more that I can learn. I can train harder. I can do better. I can stretch more. I can plan a little better. And so I know that's exciting to me is that maybe I've reached some sort of pinnacle, but I'm not done evolving as an athlete or a human. I don't doubt that one bit. <laughs> like no, knowing you just 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 very briefly and in the way that we know each other, you're going to be improving for forever. Um is your training is your training harder or is the racing harder? Cuz you do a lot of hard stuff, but you also train hard. Is there one like can you put a th- can you put a pen on if one is harder than the other? 
The training's harder for sure. It's always been harder for me to have that day-to-day commitment. It's raining. You don't want to go. You know, your coach says you're supposed to do this. You're supposed to do that. That is this long-term commitment thing. Um, Whereas when you get to a race, that's the icing on the cake. And there's so much energy. There's so much excitement. You plan for it for a year. You really want to get to the finish line. You really want to see what's out there. And that's the easy part. That, That really is the icing on the cake. And that's what that's what has to fuel somebody when they're training for years in the middle of the winter and all that to get on their trainer or go, you know, do something they don't want to do um, is really thinking about that goal of a race. And that's why people are like, well, why do you race? Or, you know, race is a, a four letter word for a lot of people. And for me, events are important because that's what gives you the commitment in that day-to-day grind of putting in the time. And we all know, you know, I've showed up to races where I'm not fit and I'm not trained and it's dangerous and it's awful and it feels terrible. Um, (laughs) if you go some somewhere and do something big and you're unprepared for it, it's, it's a terrible feeling. And so, um, yeah, training works, but it takes this ongoing commitment that, that is really hard. None of us are perfect every day. And I have sort of this, what I call the 80% rule, you know, with my coaches is that I've never done a hundred percent of my training a hundred percent of the time. It just doesn't happen with life and illness and lack of motivation or whatever else is happening. Um, you just never get everything that's on the paper. You probably know this from your clients and you're like, Ooh, I'm going to like tell my coach I did that. Oh, I forgot my heart rate monitor, but yeah, I did it. You know, um, <laughs> there's all sorts of games we can play, but I, you know, I never have done a hundred percent of what my coaches asked me, but, um, I, I usually hit about 80%, a hundred percent of the time. And that's pretty good. And that works pretty well. And I'm not saying it's okay for people to not do what's prescribed or not do their training, but consistency is really what is key, you know, and if you miss a day here, well then don't miss the next day and give yourself a break because I, you know, I'm here to tell you even world champions, Olympians, nobody's perfect and you don't get it all in. So 80% rule is kind of where I'm like, okay, I'm doing all right. And, and it's enough, but I don't know, maybe you don't want to share that with your clients. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I think it's better. I mean, we say this cliche a lot, right? Where it's, it's better to be great at being consistent versus great at being great. Like you have those big peaks and these awesome, you know, one workout days, I'd rather take the athlete that just is slowly clips along every single day, very few highs and lows, just kind of how you mentioned 80, 80%. That consistency yeah. is worth a whole heck of a lot, especially in ultra endurance events. Um, you mentioned that uh, before we got on the air that uh, you you recently had a virtual event where you kind of like let everybody into Rebecca's like personal bubble with all the you know things the things that you do and you also just mentioned that you know you've got coaches and you're a Red Bull athlete and you're one of these athletes that has access to some of the most brilliant minds in physiology and coaching you're a Red Bull athlete they've got a lot of tools and toys and you can go to them and say hey listen this is what I want to do you can zap my brain and take my blood and you know find all this you know really interesting super scientific stuff up but at the same time you do a lot of things that go like outside the bounds of what we study in like normal sports science types of settings. Fair statement. Like what you do is outside the bounds of normal sports science. Uh, I would say yes and no. I mean, what's interesting is, 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 um, Yes, we can measure people's blood. We can measure, you know, um, sort of how many watts they're putting out. We can measure that kind of physiology. And it's been really cool to be a Red Bull athlete because they do have their um, athlete performance center. So we get access to some really cool testing and some some really interesting stuff. But we, you know, the part that is people are really wanting to measure sort of the last Holy grail um, is, is what's going on in your brain and what is your mind doing? And we all know it's like your mind and your brain can either be your, your, you know, biggest asset or your biggest enemy. And we did some, a really cool um, camp that was, gosh, five or six years ago now, or maybe more um, with a small group of people and a bunch of neurologists, a Red Bull training camp. And they were really trying to figure out what quits first, the mind or the body. And so we were, you know, 
loaded up with brain stimulators and they were literally stimulating our brains. Some were placebo, some were not, um, to see if you could basically tell yourself, tell your brain to shut up and keep going. (laughs) Um, and so I'd say, you know, some of those things have been real eye openers of, can you measure that? And, and, not quite yet. We can't, but what's really interesting to me, and I'd say this probably happened, you know, I, I became aware sort of, of meditation and mindfulness and some of those things about five years ago, I went and did, um, the Ho Chi Minh trail and rode through Vietnam, Laos and Cambodia. So 1200 mile expedition and went to find a place where my dad's Um, plane was shot down in the Vietnam war and he died there. And during that process, we filmed a, made a movie called blood road, but I was required to journal and voice record every day as part of the film process. And what was really interesting to me on that month long journey is to, it's the first time I had journaled or really gotten into meditation. And so in the years following that, I started to really explore my own brain and like, what is going on out there after three days in adventure race and, you know, or, you know, 1200 miles on the Ho Chi Minh trail. And it's the first time I started to articulate maybe what I feelings and sensations and thoughts. And I really do think that that's a really interesting part of performance that people are starting to latch onto now. And you're seeing it with apps like Headspace. You're seeing, you're seeing people, you know, you know, doing more, you know, stretching yoga, but sitting there and being quiet. And I've, I've always thought that endurance sports were sort of a moving meditation where you do get into this flow state and you lose track of time and all of a sudden your legs don't hurt anymore. Um, but learning to do that sitting still has been an interesting process that, that sort of the last five years or so I've, I've dabbled in. Um, but anyone who's an endurance athlete knows that you get to a different sort of a, a state, um, when you're out there in the middle of the night, For sure. and, you know, <laughs> hear the owls or you hear other things and it may seem new, but it's, it's ancient. It's like a vision quest for native Americans or, you know, Buddhist monks who, um, fast and then meditate. I mean, you could, you could take a lot of similarities between what we do as endurance athletes into some of those ancient practices that are really getting to know yourself as a human and, Going back to your question, yeah, I, you know, I did just do Rebecca's Private Idaho, which is, uh, you know, number eight of a big cycling event I do. Obviously, we couldn't do it in, in person for, for safety reasons, um, but I didn't want to give up on, you know, being a resource for people. And as we know, our sports community is essential to our health and wellness. And, you know, if you can't go to an event, how do you still stay connected to your community? How do you still stay motivated to train for something? So, you know, it's like, how do you still take care of yourself and connect with your community? And I knew people still needed that, including me. My coach was like, what's it going to take for you to get off the couch and get back to your training? And I'm like, I don't know. I need an event. I need people. I need my people. And so that's where the motivation to keep private Idaho in a different format happened. And so I basically made an eight week program for people to have access into my world to my coach, you know, a mindfulness person, a lot of the Red Bull, you know, people that I have access to professional athletes and we all train together for private Idaho and people designed their private Idaho courses at home. So they're exploring their backyard. They're learning how to plan a route in their Garmin. They're learning how to stay committed to training. They're connected with the community. And it was so cool to one, I needed it, but it was so cool to see what happened for people of like, I really needed this because this is a really hard time in our world. And you let your personal fitness go and you lose your community. Like those are two pretty big things. And to be able to create that, um, in a digital way, you know, and get people outside their own back doors. It was cool. It was, I didn't think it would work, um, but it did. And it was amazing. And it, it gives me hope for, for all of us, but it also reinforces the fact that we need to move as human beings and we need to stay connected. And that's what private Idaho was about this year. Yeah. And a lot of people are struggling with that in the endurance community right now. Yeah. I mean, just left, left, right and center in a lot of what, what we've been finding just with our athletes is the duration of how long this pandemic has lasted and it looks like it's going to last. 
yeah. that disruption, you know, endurance athletes can handle because we're, you know, we're, we're good at adversity, right? But once it gets to like six months, nine months, 12 months, 18 months, and we start to lose the fabric that binds us together, it's just, real, I just get the sense now is really grating on people. Well, and like an endurance event, you go in like Iditarod, Alaska. I know it's 350 miles. I know yep. it's going to take me between four and eight days. Um, but you know, there's a finish line. Yeah. And I think, and we can wrap our heads around that and keep going. I think that's what's really hard about this is we don't know where the finish line is yet. And so that's why, you know, almost like that adventure racing, it's like, take care of yourself right now in this moment, because we don't know how long we're in it. And so you better be your best self because we're in it for the long haul. But that's a hard mindset to not know where the finish line is. Have you ever been, I'm going to go back to the racing a little, a little bit, because I don't want this to turn into COVID 2.0 because everybody's <laughs> sick of it by now. Have you ever been in a point where you're just like, I just can't do this? Because we've got this like image of you, like you're always the toughest. You're the, you know, you're going to come out the other side. Like you're the one taking people's weight after day three and stuff like that. Have you ever just been like, I just can't, I just can't do it. It's too hard. Yeah. I, I, many times I cry all the time. I'll let you guys know that. Um, it's hard all the time. And, you know, people often think that the more fit or the athletes that win, that it's easier for them. Um, it's not guaranteed. We're going through just as much pain. It may be for just a shorter duration of time. Um, but yeah, there's one memory that really sticks out in my head. And, um, it was the first raid Galois I did, which was another version of eco challenge. The original adventure race was called the raid Galois. Um, it was a French organization and this particular race was in, um, Tibet and Nepal, really high elevation, really high altitude. It was my first race with an experienced team. We were the only American team there and I was the rookie, like, pretty new, you know, I'd had a flash in the pan, some early on success. And so I got invited on this pretty good team and was like, Oh, you know, um, Mike closer was on the team, Patrick Harper, like a bunch of names that maybe you've heard of. And, and I was the rookie, of course, the only female in a five person team. Um, and I'd never really been to super high elevation and the race started at 14,000 feet and went up to 19,000 feet. And so there was this whole acclimatization process before we even started. But first day in the race, we're doing great. We're in like seventh place with, you know, the top American team. An American team had never placed well in uh, in the raid go on. So, yeah, we're all charged and having a good time. Um, day two comes around and we're going higher and higher in elevation. And I'm basically getting pulmonary edema, um, you know, because I'm going too hard, trying to keep up with my male teammates and digging myself into a pretty severe uh medical hole and situation. And we got to, you know, literally crawling on my knees, dragging myself up to 18,000 feet and got to that checkpoint there. And the medics, um, you know, they heard the coughing, they, you know, basically saw the state I was in and stopped us and wanted to pull me out of the race. They kept us there for a number of hours evaluating us. And while, you know, many of my teammates were like, this is only two days in, they're like, come on, you know, they didn't want to be pulled from the race because of me. And of course I'm feeling guilty. I'm feeling terrible, but it's also the first time in my life, you know, as a climber and an athlete that I felt like I might die. Like I'm, I'm really hurting myself physically. And I was really scared. And it was like, I, I don't do this to, you know, wreck my lungs and have, you know, long-term physical, um, physical challenges. And I was really scared that I was hurting myself, um, and didn't care about the race at that point. And the medics wanted to hold me there, hold me there. And we finally convinced them that, look, the safest thing for me to do is get down. And the course was dropping way down to the river next. And so we convinced them like, let we faster if I just get out of here. <laughs> and, and so they let us leave after a number of hours, you know, my team's all excited. They start charging ahead and I'm literally taking one step at a time, leaning on my poles, one step at a time, leaning on my poles, crying. And I just, you know, and I couldn't do it. And one of my teammates came back. Um, he's still one of my best friends. And he, I just I said to him, I, I don't, I don't know if I can, I can't do it. And what he said to me, like the other guys were like, come on, Rebecca, you know, don't quit. You know, it's a little bit different type of motivation. And all Patrick said to me, he said, if you need to stop, I'll stop with you. 
and like it was basically like a hug. <laughs> he gave me a hug and said, it's okay if you quit. And that was all that I needed not to quit was for somebody to say it was okay. You don't have to beat yourself up. I'm with you as a friend, no matter what happens. And we went on, we finished seventh overall, which was the highest American ranking ever in that race. Um, and you know, that five days later and, and crossed the finish line and, that was a moment where I just realized the power of love and, you know, taking a minute and like letting somebody heal um, and staying with them. And that, you know, our bodies and our friendships are more important than any finish line. And ultimately that got me to the finish line was just saying it was okay. If you have to stop, it's okay. And that was, I mean, you mentioned that was pretty early on in your career. Did you ever use that as like some sort of framework for future expeditions and things that you did to say, okay, if I'm ever in this situation, this is how I'm going to kind of approach it. It definitely softened me to realize that, you know, most of us, if, if you're an athlete, most of us are pretty hard on ourselves. Most of us are our own worst enemy. We work really hard. Um, and you're not describing anybody that's listening, by the way, (laughs) No, nobody's like that. We work super hard and we never cut ourselves a break. And so, and I'm that same way too, but it made me realize as a teammate, um, and for myself as my own teammate to cut myself a break, you know, and that we're doing the best we can. And if somebody's on their knees because they can't breathe and they've got pulmonary edema, you know, beating them up really isn't going to be the solution to help them. Um, and also that a finish line, you know, that's not the most important thing. It's the thing that got us motivated. Like I said, to do that day-to-day training, to take control of our physical health, but really does the race really matter? No, the journey It's the journey and the process. And if you're, if you're hurting yourself, then, then that is time to call it quits. So Rebecca, you're a long ways off from hanging up your bike and hanging up your <laughs> shoes and hanging up all of your other adventure equipment that I'm, that I'm, that I'm just envisioning is sprawled out across your home <laughs> up in Idaho. What's it going to take to convince you to get into a big hundred mile ultra marathon, like the Leadville trail 100 or Western States or UTMB? I'm going to put you on the spot here because there's going to be people yeah. that are like craving for this, craving for Rebecca rush to get into ultra running in a proper way. And I'm going to tell you, I've thought about this for probably 10 years, um, thought about, I really need to do a big ultra. I really need to do a big ultra. Um, it's, I I think it's in my future and because it's been nagging at me and been like, oh, that looks really interesting. And I'll tell you, um, I have a really good friend, Emma Roca, who is an amazing runner and has done, done a lot of those events. And she's come to visit me every couple summers or something. And it was a, a, big revelation when I learned that ultra runners don't run the whole time and that they walk (laughs) up the hills. That was where I was like, I can totally do that because I was this high. I'm, I'm thinking back to high school, like two miles is hard for me to run. Like, I don't know if I could run a hundred miles. And Emma's like, no, 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 you don't run the whole time. I'm like, what? Nobody told me this. And so that was the first revelation that like, okay, I could do one. Um, because I had this vision that like, you know, all these super like skinny people are all just like running up the hill. And then when I go on trail runs, I walk sometimes or I scramble or, and so there is one in my future and I have to thank Emma for letting me know that like everyone's not running the whole time. I had no idea. <laughs> well, Such a dork. okay. So here's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking hard rock. How super come? High. What makes you pick that one? Cause it's a hiker course. You yeah, hike up and that's the where hills. I was like, I need a hike course. Yeah. You hike up the hills and then you run down. Now you got to get a qualifier for that, but we can, we, we okay. can take care of that. Okay. I'm thinking Tour de Giant which is 330K in the Italian Alps, super hard. There's hardly any running on that. There's, you know, lots of good technical stuff. There's a lot of things that would be like perfect in your wheelhouse and you would love. I think that that's really cool. I mean, it's just like me choosing cross country versus track in high school. It's you, you find this, the things that attract you that you're like, that sounds really exciting to me. And there's so many different races and you can choose if you're more of, you want a flat runner's course, you could choose that. If you want like a scrambly rock climber course, you know, um, I could choose something like that. So it's cool to know that there's, I'll have to, 
I'll have to come and maybe do some research. There is one in Idaho that's that is I've really wanted to do called the Stand Hope. I yeah. don't know if you know about that one. Yeah, and it's in my race. backyard. Yeah. I know the terrain. There's no reason I shouldn't just go out and do one of those. And I work with ultra running now because they, they know that. I, I mean, I trail run all the time. I just have never trail run a hundred miles. So maybe I should start with like a 60 K or something. No, screw smaller. that. Just jump into the deep end, Rebecca, you can handle really? it. Like, yeah, don't like dip your toe in the water. Come on now. Like you like, what, what, what would you be doing doing a 60 K? Like what, why not just like jump in and do a 200 mile race? Because like we talked about, it's that power and pessimism. I'd be like, no, I should prepare. <laughs> I should make sure I could do it. You know, I should make sure I'm fit enough. But you're right. I mean, sometimes you just have to jump in and not wait till you're perfectly prepared for something. I think if you signed up for a 50K or 60K, no matter how hard it was, you'd be like, that's it. Like, I don't want to do this sport anymore. That's why I think you should jump in the deep end because I want to get you hooked. So you like okay. keep coming back. And the way to get hooked is just to do something super gnarly. What is it about the hundred miles that like, like turns this corner, this flip that really becomes ultra running? Um, yeah, that's a good question, right? Because it's, it does have this, um, it does have this like gold star on it. Like you're not mm -hmm. a real ultra runner until you run a hundred miles. It's far different than doing a 50 or a hundred K. I mean, in the, in the, in the, uh, adventure racing world, it'd be the difference between a sprint and an eco challenge, right? Those aren't even the same sport at that point. Okay. And I really view once you get up to the hundred mile distance and particularly like harder hundred mile distances, it is a completely different sport than marathon running, than trail running, than even ultra running because of the, just because of the duration of it. And I just think that for like for you, the proposition of doing a really hard one, which would take, you know, 24 hours or more or something like that, like once you did it, you'd keep coming back. I'm not going to say you're going to give up cycling and all these other things like, but you just like keep coming back because there's just like the, all of the things that you like mentioned and that like make you, you that you're so renowned for are exemplified in ultra running. I'm All trying right. to make a compelling case here. Challenge accepted. Nice. I'm gonna, we're going to find one. I'm going to do one. <laughs> All right. You and I, we're going to get off. We're going to offline. We're going to brainstorm some ideas. All right. And, and you can be a, help me and be a pacer or a crew member for me. That'd I'll tell you awesome. what, any, any ultra marathon that you do, Rebecca, hit me up. I'll pace you hundred percent. If I, I can that. keep up, <laughs> I you might have, have to, to give you my no, pack. <laughs> <laughs> You're used to that though. We talked about that so much at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> I'll be giving you my pack facing you. All right, Rebecca, I appreciate your time. We're going to let you go. Um, I, I want you, to, why don't we leave listeners with a little bit of a better description on Rebecca's private Idaho in a non COVID year. Hopefully it'll come back next year. You want to tell everybody about that? Yeah. I mean, typically it's a, it's a, uh, a gravel bike ride, a big giant gravel bike ride, everything from 20 miles to a three day stage race. Um, and you know, the goal of it, it's, it's one of my biggest fundraising rides of the year for the be good foundation. Um, and you know, it's typically a, a four day, five day long, uh, celebration of, of people, place and purpose. And I will tell you, I've been, uh, toying with the idea of adding, um, a running event to it. So I think in the future we could have, um, you know, cycling slash running event going on at the same time, because I think that'd be really cool. You guys have badass trails around there. I do that. We do. We have, we have really great trails, um, and a lot of open space. And so I could, I could see having a running aspect, but you know, I, and I know that like running is your thing, but I don't know any athlete that like only does one sport, you know, Everyone I know runs, bikes, skis, does does a lot of different things. And so you, you might consider that, you know, oh, I'm not a cyclist. The beautiful thing about gravel road riding is that it is really accessible for anybody. And it's a really, cycling is a really great way, you know, to have some off days from running, you know, every single day. And so for any of you out there thinking of dabbling in it, um, gravel is a great way to get into cycling. Um, it's not intimidating. There's dirt roads everywhere. There's not a lot of traffic on those roads and it's, I guarantee it will help you running. Um, if you do a day or two a week of, of cycling. 
gravel riding is getting more and more popular in the ultra running circles. It's like the oh, right, is it? yeah, it's like the right combination where it's like not too technical. So people aren't intimidated by like riding right. their bike over like ridiculously gnarly terrain. And it's not on the road where there's a lot of traffic and they can kind of go wherever they want to. So it is becoming bigger. There's a lot of ultra runners that have done uh, Dirty Kanza, right? Which you're quite mm-hmm. quite familiar with. So they just jump right in. You know, it's the same thing. It's like, we're just going to pick the hardest stuff to do. Well, and I think the key to longevity in sport and being a lifelong athlete is that you do mix it up a little bit and that you're not only doing one sport. And it's the reason I don't only cycle because it'd be terrible for my back and my posture and, you know, and so I think it really is important to to mix it up and have a little bit um, more in your repertoire than just your main core sport. Well, I hope you mix it up on the ultra running scene. Rebecca Rush, 2021, 2022, Hard Rock, UTMB, Tour de Giant, you we could find an event for you thanks coop and i'm gonna make you're gonna i am gonna take you up on that uh being my pacer uh, for one of those you can hold me to it i'm down and there you have it there you go thank you rebecca for coming on the podcast today that was really fun i want to bring you back on the podcast once you start your ultra running journey for all the listeners out there go out and hit rebecca up on social media let's poke that fire a little bit and let's get her into some freaking ultra running it would be absolutely awesome appreciate the heck out of all of the listeners today Thank you from the bottom of my heart. If you have not had the chance, skip on over to Apple Podcasts and give this podcast a rating or a review. That means a tremendous amount to me. Or if you like it, just hit me up on social media and say thanks. I really like it when I receive those messages. And as always, you guys, we will see you out on the trails.